Welcome to the Nonprofit Insider Podcast. On this podcast, we give a little bit more of a commentary feel to some of the things that are happening in the nonprofit space. And we're not just talking fundraising either. We talk about all the aspects of being in the nonprofit world. The people, the relationships, the news, the politics, and the money that goes with being in this world. Stick around. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back, everyone, to the Nonprofit Insider Podcast. We've got a, we've got a good one today, a good show. We're going to talk lots of money talk. If you're going to walk that walk, you got to talk that talk. And when they say money talk, bullshit walks. <laughs> uh, you can tell I'm in the mood already. We, we've got a good one today. Here in about 10 minutes, I'm going to talk about CEO pay. It's a big conversation in the charity side of nonprofits. Uh, but I want to explore a little bit deeper on the pay that the top brass at charity nonprofits make. And then I want to talk about the pay that top brass, specifically the CEOs, make at the top um, nonprofit hospitals. A lot of people know that nonprofits are hospitals, but it's not something they consciously think in their mind. Uh, there, there's a lot of conversations around that. So we're going to talk a little bit about those pay here in about 10 minutes, I think you're really gonna appreciate that. And then we have a nonprofit horror story that will show another side of money in the nonprofit space in the form of board members. There are a lot of board members that have money out there, but this story today is going to, um, you know, I'm not even gonna ruin it. I'm not even gonna ruin it. So stick around for that. That's gonna be at about the, the 25, 20 minute mark. Uh, but first, let's start with the news. If you haven't had the chance already, go, go back to the previous episode. I talked about the top five myths of being in the nonprofit space. And if you've been listening to this show for some time, listen, we're trying to peek around the corner. There are many things that are happening in the nonprofit space that are ever changing. And, and sometimes you get pieces of news, you get pieces of information, and you're able to kind of sneak your head around the bin and see what's kind of coming. Uh, so we talked a little bit about top myths on the last episode, but if you've been with us for a while, you might remember back on episode seven, I released that one on April 26th, and the title of that episode, What is a Nonprofit Anyway? And that's a great episode where we talk about all the different insights into what makes a nonprofit, what the different 501c structures are. But at the news section to start that episode, I talked about an organization by the name of 10,000 Villages. And if you haven't had a chance, go back to episode seven, listen to the episode, I think you'll appreciate it. And I had discovered from a, a article in the Coloradan that's based out of Fort Collins, which is, I think it's like, I wanna say an hour and a half north of Denver. Look it up on the map. Uh, Fort Collins is a great city about they, they have a, a, a in Fort Collins they have a nonprofit store by the name of 10,000 Villages. And this is a nonprofit. They're based out of Akron, Pennsylvania, but they have stores all over the US. And what they do is they sell various fairly traded, sustainably sourced goods, you know, all the key catchwords these days. And I remember reading this article and this was in the Colorado, and so this was for a store based out of 
uh, Fort Collins that the Colorado had published an article saying that basically this nonprofit store that and it's been around for like 23 years. Uh, the, the store would basically it's in trouble because they don't have enough money to continue the organizational like operation. And they had cited how basically pandemic came in, um, you know, caught them off guard. They were running out of money because their store wasn't good. They don't have a lot of people that work at the store. They rely on volunteers. Again, good episode. Listen to it. So I remember after that, I was like, you know what? I started following this 10,000 villages store on Instagram because I was just curious to see what would happen with the store. And one of the things that I don't think gets mentioned a lot in the nonprofit world, but whenever a nonprofit really starts to get heavy on, we don't have enough money and we have to do fundraisers. And if we don't get enough money by X day, we're, we're going to close or we're not going to be able to continue. And for a lot of nonprofits, that's it's, it's like a nail in the coffin. So I wanted to follow this Instagram because for me, from my point of view, I said, you know what? If they're putting it out there, if they're having newspaper articles that they need to raise, I can't remember how much, $150,000 in, in six weeks. That's a hard ask to do in these times. So I just assumed they were going to go on, go under. Well, lo and behold, your boy's right. <laughs> you know, right? Even a broken clock's right two times a day, right? Uh, but on, on, May, on May 3rd, this is about six weeks after I saw the initial newspaper article, uh, I, I finally saw what I kind of was imagining I would see. They had posted that after 23 years of operation, the store would be closing at the end of June. And I want to read something from their Instagram page. Again, if you haven't had a chance, go back, listen to episode seven. For the first 10 minutes, I talk about this nonprofit. Now it's coming full closure six weeks later, seven weeks later, eight weeks later, that they are going to close here in the next couple of days. And so in the news, in the uh, in their Instagram post, they said that, they cite that the pandemic had, quote, the months-long store closure and loss of all-site sales during 2020 have caught up with us. The pandemic exhausted both of our monetary reserves and our volunteer base. We took the government aid provided to small businesses as a result of the pandemic, but the assistance has ended. We have explored the options of private fundraising, government funding, and uh, apprenticeships and other forms of aid but have not found the adequate uh that can adequately address our situation consequently we have reached the decision to close while we still have the funds to conclude the life of the store with grace uh it's, it's a great post and and i i uh, appreciate nonprofits that are able to give such high level forms of communication even when times are bad uh so big shout out to whoever wrote that post the store manager uh, their volunteers, and just the general community as they, they enter a new chapter. It, it's um, it's one of those things where nonprofits are born and die every day in America. But over the previous five years, I think we, we've seen the death of a lot more nonprofits um, than really ever before between the pandemic, economic challenges, just labor. There's a lot that, that's happening. A lot of nonprofits just are not they're just not able to make it. Now, a lot of nonprofits will be born 
in these times. And we've seen a lot of nonprofits developed. Uh, but when you live in a capitalist society, like any society, really, things kind of come and they go. Nothing lasts forever. And I, I want to end with this because I think this is something that a lot of folks that are not in the nonprofit space may not realize. There, there are a lot of nonprofits that they grow and you, you never even hear of them. And, and I've been seeing a lot of wildlife sanctuary nonprofits lately that have been on the struggle bus between dog and cat rescue reserves, small mammal reservations. Uh, you see a lot of big animal reserves for like big cats and reptiles and things like that. A lot of those I've been reading and seeing a lot in the industry and a lot of talk among circles that that is one area that you're seeing a lot of closures. A lot of these animal reserves, they require a lot of people, a lot of food, vet services. Uh, these things can be very expensive, expensive. And in economic times like we're having, you start adding inflation, the market prices of things like food go up. Um, you can get behind very, very fast financially. And one area of this I see quite a bit is the land itself. If you have a horse rescue operation that's on 10, 20, 30 acres, it takes a lot of money to maintain that. And then after three or four years, after your initial seed money goes or you know, after you're flushed with some cash, you can struggle because a lot of state and county taxes is can, can, can really be the thing that hits a lot of nonprofits hard, where you're getting a $13,000 property bill every single year and you maybe didn't factor that in as well or as much as you should have. And then when you have an economy that's on, on the um, rocky landings, uh, things can, can catch up really fast. So listen, I'm not going to talk tomorrow about it. Uh, but yeah, we, 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 we saw around the corner. And like I kind of predicted that this nonprofit wouldn't be able to make it because once you're at a level of putting out there to the level they were putting out there that they needed money, Basically, you're on life support at that point. So I'll give them some love. Uh, in the show notes, I have 10,000villages.com. Check out some of their products. They have some really good stuff. They're not a sponsor of the show or anything like that. But if I'm going to sit around here and I'm going to talk about a store's demise in the fashion that this Fort uh, Collins 10,000 Villages is having, then I got to go. I gotta show them some love. So check out some of their products. Um, you might be surprised at some of the things they have. There's a phenomenon that happens in the nonprofit space every couple of months. You know, we've had global pandemic these last few years, so a lot of them have kind of slipped under the radar. But every couple of months, sometimes once or twice a year, there's usually a story that breaks that has the industry on fire. And usually it's like a scandalous story. Uh, an investigative piece, something like a ProPublica type of feature with a nonprofit. And it could be any number of things. It could be a, a, a company exec that is stealing money from the pot. It could be a nonprofit that had a program that fell under. It could be a nonprofit that aligns themselves with maybe a politician or a group of folks in various industries. And that story becomes bigger and bigger and bigger until 
it expands outside of the nonprofit space and maybe garners a little bit of national or regional attention, depending on where you live in the U.S. But what ultimately ends up happening with a lot of these stories is there's a particular focus on that particular nonprofit, and then the, the hawks come out, the questions come out, and it usually ends or goes in a direction to the tune of, but did you know that the CEO of this company makes X, Y, and Z? It happens at least once a year, sometimes multiple times a year, depending on the organization that's usually at focus. And one of the things that I think a lot of folks that are not in the nonprofit space may not understand, and this goes all the way back to our very first episode, there's a lot of money in the nonprofit space. But there's also a little bit of a disconnect from the information and the knowledge that folks that are not in the nonprofit space know and folks that are in the nonprofit space know. And and listen, I mentioned this before in a couple of episodes where only 10.7% of all Americans operate in the nonprofit space, which is honestly, that's a huge number. It's no small fry by by any means, you know, if if the if the US has I don't even know how many people are in the workforce, say 150 people, 150 million people in the workforce, if 15 million people in the nonprofit space is still a large number, but that's you have another 90% of the workforce that are not. You're talking 10% of folks are in the, in the nonprofit space, according to the Bureau of Labor of Statistics. 7.2% are in the government space. So doing work at the federal level, national level, uh, doing work at the state level, county level, whatever the case may be. So just round that up to 20%. Say 20% of all folks in the workforce are in government and a nonprofit. Folks, that's still 80% of people that may not really understand some of the aspects of what happens in the 501c space. But one similarity between the nonprofit space and the for-profit space, I kind of leave the government space out of it. They have way higher rates of unions right now, and we know how it can be. Once You, you know the old adage of once you get the government job, it's hard to leave the government job? We could talk about that another time, but th- let's take the government out. Let's just look at the for-profit and the nonprofit space. Those are the three, uh, I always say that's the three-legged stool, nonprofit, government, and for-profit. And so if, if you are a person that's in the for-profit space, what's some of the big complaints we're hearing right now in 2023? Executives are making a lot of money. CEOs are making a lot of money. Founders are making a lot of money. But the average worker is not making a lot of money. 68% of Americans are one paycheck away from really being unhoused. And so there's a lot in that particular world that's actually very similar in the nonprofit space. There's a lot of nonprofits that have CEOs that make a lot of money. There's a lot of nonprofits where the everyday worker is making $45,000 a year, $35,000 a year, you know, 50,000, whatever the case may be, $60,000 a year. But one of the most interesting aspects when a story gets national attention is the CEO of that particular nonprofit. And one of the things I want to detail over the next 10 minutes is this. The CEO pay at most nonprofits 
is not as extravagant as people would think. Even at the top 10, 20, 25 nonprofits, is it high compared to the average worker? Yes, this is America. That's not a surprise. We, we love capitalism. Listen, I love capitalism and it doesn't even treat me that well. So yes, the, 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 the rate is high. But again, there's a disconnect between the, what the general public knows and what the nonprofit world knows as it relates to CEO pay. And you know, I was thinking, there's so much talk when some of these scandals come to be about this CEO makes a million dollars a year, this CEO is making $800,000 a year. Honestly, I'm gonna be honest, in most instances, I don't care because a lot of times, some of those CEOs need to be making a lot of money. And it's not as bad as you would think to a more shadow aspect of the nonprofit world. Here's what I mean. I looked up the top 10 charities in America based off of the amount of revenue they brought in. Very information to get. Just typed it in, looked to Forbes. They, they, I, I do a lot of information through Forbes. They always provide me with some really good stuff. And I look, like I said, I looked up the top 10 charities, not nonprofits. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Just the top 10 charities in America. And I compared that to the top CEO of all nonprofits in America. And if you're not in the nonprofit space, some of these numbers I'm going to share with you in a minute may be surprising. But if you are in the for or the nonprofit space, you're not going to be surprised by this. But there'll be some numbers that will be really shocking. And so what I wanted to do is, because oftentimes a, a lot of the, the scandals that we hear are honestly through charities. We hear them at some of the top charities. Uh, we hear it about um, Goodwill, Habitat for Humanity, American Red Cross, maybe uh, United Way, Feeding America. We hear about some of these organizations and some of the things that they have done wrong, because a lot of the times with top charities, and we know this through the 501C structure of the IRS, check out previous episodes, that if you are a charity, you get an overwhelming amount of your money through the general public. Donation, $100 donation here, $50,000 donation there, $2,500 donation there, here, those types of things. Compared to a private foundation like the Bill Gates Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, they get their money because they, they have stocks. They, they, they're just so rich. They don't need to get money from, from the average American citizen. So oftentimes we hear about these scandals and they're through some of the nonprofits that are in our backyard uh, doing amazing work, whether they do food relief, homelessness release, or, or disaster relief. But a lot of people may not realize that a lot of hospitals are nonprofits. A lot of aspects of the healthcare system have a .org designation, have a 501c3 designation. And look, what I'm about to say is, is no, it's no big shocker because even people in this industry say this, but the healthcare system in America sucks. And you see some of the different ways it really sucks based off of the numbers. And so here, take a look at this. I'm going to read you the top 10 charities in America, and I'm going to read you the amount their respective CEOs make. Are you with me? All right, here we go. Number one. 
But before we get into that, can I tell you about my friends over at the Nonprofit Insider Podcast? That's right. You know I had to do my own promo. And what I want you to do right now is open your Instagram app, because I know you are on Instagram, and follow me at the Nonprofit Insider. We have a slew of high-level posts that are going to improve your life in the nonprofit space in a relaxed and informative fashion. We're talking facts, stats, opinion pieces, exclusive nonprofit horror stories I'm only going to share on Instagram, and some pretty cool pictures from time to time. Plus, every Friday I do a weekend survey question so you can stay connected with me in the greater Nonprofit Insider podcast community. And best of all, we only post once a day, so you don't have to worry about seeing 800 million stories and posts in your feeds from me. So annoying when I see those things. Again, follow me at the Nonprofit Insider on Instagram right now. All right, let's get back to the show. All right, here we go. Number one, Feeding America. They have brought in 4.21 billion revenue in 2022. According, these are all according to Forbes. 4.21 billion. Their CEO Claire Bavenu Fortnot brought in 969 thousand dollars in compensation. United Way Worldwide. They brought in 3.8 billion dollars in revenue. They had a couple scandals recently. Their CEO, Brian Gallagher, brings in $1.2 million a year. St. Jude's Hospital, $2.3 billion a year. Their CEO, Richard Shadyak Jr., I hope I said his name right, $1.02 million a year. Salvation Army, they brought in $5.79 billion, but I wasn't able to get their CEO pay. They have a little bit of a unique structure, so we'll leave them out, but they were number four. Number five, direct relief. $2.2 $2.2 billion a year. Their CEO, Thomas Tig, $565,000 a year. Good 360, $1.6 billion. Their CEO, Matt Connelly, $263,000 a year. They have a little bit of an interesting uh, format as well when you look at their 990. Goodwill, everybody's heard of Goodwill. I've donated old vacuums to them. I don't know why they took that crap. Goodwill, $7.41 billion in revenue. Their CEO, Stephen Preston, $423,000 a year. YMCA, $7.44 billion a year. They had uh, two CEOs in the year of 2021, according to Forbes, Susan McCormick and Kevin Washington. Kevin Washington born in $793,000 a year. Habitat for Humanity, $2.13 billion a year. Their CEO, Jonathan Reckford, Borden, $428,000 a year. And then AmeriCores, or excuse me, AmeriCares at number 10, $1.24 billion. And their CEO, Michael Nehunis, I hope I said his name right, Borden, just under $500,000 a year. Now, would I like to trade places with any of those folks making any of those amounts of money? Hell yeah, 100%. But you'd be surprised to hear some of those numbers if you're not in the nonprofit space. Because if a scandal comes out, I'm just I'm going to pick number three, or because I I seem to mention St. Jude's a lot. If if a scandal comes out with St. Jude's, which ProPublica did one not long ago, very interesting one. I'll try to put that in the show notes. There's they brought in two point three billion dollars. 
they get scandals a lot for the amount of fundraising they do. They get scandals and negative press for the amount of ads they do. We'll leave that out. Their CEO still is only making $1.02 million a year. Again, that's a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. But let me read you some other numbers because this is a side of the nonprofit space that a lot of folks may not realize. Your local hospital, my son was born at a hospital two blocks from my house. I'm not even joking. It's a nonprofit. The hospital that's two miles from my house, Loveless, it's a nonprofit. And with the way healthcare is in America, and this isn't a political comment, but just in general, listen, everybody knows it's not good. It, it, it's hard. It's terrible. CEOs in that space make a lot of money. And so one of the most popular, one of the most popular pieces that I, I found on the internet is from the Economic Research Institute. Back in 2018, they reproduced a really well-used, and they do it, I guess, every single year. They did 2018, 17, 16. It's replicated. It's used quite a bit. Of the top CEO pay for all nonprofits, so not just charities, not just private foundations, which we could talk about a whole nother time, not just, you know, your local church groups, you know, like uh, who's that one guy in Houston? I can never remember. Olson, Joel Olson, Joel, is it Joel Olson? My mom used to love Joel Olson, right? Those are nonprofits, and so scandals can hit all of those. These are top CEO pays for nonprofits, and listen to, listen to, listen to it. Number one, Bernard Tyson, chairman and CEO of the Kaiser Foundation Health Plan. Guess how much he bored in a year? $15.7 million as a base compensation with an additional $2.17 million. We're, we're talking $18 million for one person to lead the health plan for Kaiser Foundation. Laura Salida, CEO of President of the Delta Dental Plan of Michigan. $14.8 million a year with an additional $23,500 in compensation. William Donovan, president of the U.S. Steel and Carnegie Pension Fund, retired. He bore in in 2018 $13.4 for 12 months of work. And I'm not saying these jobs are easy, right? I'm sure these jobs are hard. But compare that to the number I just said a couple of minutes ago. Feeding America, the number one rated charity in America in terms of revenue. Their CEO made $969,325. This guy retired and still made $13.4 million for one year. Let me go on. Edward Curtis, president and CEO of the Memorial Health System, $10.6 million with an additional $140,000 in compensation. Susan Edwards, Pro Healthcare Inc., $8.7 million with an additional $41,000 in compensation. David Pate, President and CEO of the St. Luke's Health System, $8.5 million with an additional $33,000 in compensation. 
and rounding it out, because this is one of the biggest ones that I know of uh, in the nonprofit space, the New York Presbyterian Hospital System. Their CEO, Stephen Corwin, president and CEO, made $8.2 million with an additional $2.1 million in compensation in the year 2018. So when some of these scandals hit some of these nonprofits and we're like, they're making a million dollars. Some of you, I've never even heard of the Delta Dental Plan of Michigan and they made $15 million. Maybe my eyes aren't looking in the right direction. And do I think nonprofits need to be transparent? 100%. Do I think the amount of money that's distributed among nonprofits, whether they're charities, hospitals, foundations, what have you, do I think that number is low? Yes. Because I think there are a lot of instances where program budgets, retirement plans, pension plans, which are pretty much non-existent in the nonprofit space for a lot of folks, I think those have reasons to be questioned. And I think there are a lot of proper forms of criticism in the nonprofit space in that particular respect. But when you are the leader of AARP, Joanne Jenkins, and you make $1.2 million a year and your organization, organization is valued at $3 billion, honestly, folks, that's not bad. That's not bad. So maybe we aren't looking at the right aspects of the way money flows in nonprofits because as much as I think the, the CEO pay is really high for a lot of charities, it's a lot crazier than most of us really realize. All right, all right, all right. Time for our favorite segment of the entire podcast. And it's the favorite segment. <laughs> I know a lot of people like listening to the news segment. That's really good. And a lot of people really enjoy our main segment that we do. But nothing compares to the nonprofit horror stories. And we got a really good one today. A very timely one, in fact, from uh, the, the Southwest. We're getting a lot of great people from the Southwest. So shout out to Colorado. We've got folks from Texas. Two people from Texas that have sent me some really good nonprofit horror stories. And of course, Arizona, New Mexico, I'm going to have some people in my backyard, no doubt about it. And one of the, the, the best things about reaching out to folks in the nonprofit space for these nonprofit horror stories is sometimes you get a story and it just lines up perfectly. So I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm recording a podcast talking about nonprofit CEO pay, nonprofit charities, et cetera. You just listen to it and not even... 12 hours later, I get an email from a really impressive high-level person in nonprofit space. I'll be giving them some flowers here in a second. And she sends me in one, and it has a really good money component. And I said, I said, how, how am I so lucky to have so many amazing people in my life that are willing to come and share some really good stories? And so we're, we're hearing some really good stuff from people from all over. So if you're interested in submitting a nonprofit horror story, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at the Nonprofit Insider, or you can email me, swim.kareem at gmail.com. I'll be putting that in the show notes, so be sure to check that out. All right, let me give a little love to this person because one of the things I really notice about being in a nonprofit space, and I imagine that this happens in other worlds, more specific. Like if you're in banking, I bet it happens. If you're in 
manufacturing or shipping or transportation. You know, you have conferences, you have seminars, you have your own little thing. But one of the interesting aspects about the nonprofit space is you can be a nonprofit adoption agency, nonprofit education system, and you can still have interactions with folks that are in nonprofit, I'm thinking uh, disaster relief or nonprofit environmental uh, consciousness or awareness because there's so many levels of interaction, just a little bit more compared to the for-profit or the government space. And I met this person back in 2000, I want to say 15, and I could tell that this was a really smart person, really connected person, has really good connections in the community, in the environment in which we kind of operate. But one of the things that was really most impressed with this person, really, really nice. And, and it's an old cliche of people don't you know, remember you for your money, your status, or your power, but they remember you for how they treat you. And this is definitely one of those people just one of the nicest individuals that, that I've ever really had the ability to connect with. And I only interact with this person maybe once or twice a year. It's not a whole lot, but every single time I'm impressed with her, I listen to her. If she ever had things going on, it would definitely be one of those people. So for today's nonprofit horror story, we have Akira. Akira writes, this story happened when I was working at my first nonprofit job with an international arts organization located in a city where a lot of people have their second homes. Most of the board members are retirees, so it was not uncommon that they were out of town traveling internationally or spending time at their main homes in other cities. One day, the financial director was preparing a check for a sizable amount of money, and he needed a second signature from a board member as it was best practice in the sector. Naturally, he called the board treasurer to see if she could stop by that day or the next to sign the check. She responded by saying that she was at her main home one state away. She then went on to say that she could jump in her private plane and come into town later that afternoon to sign the check. The finance director reassured her that wouldn't be necessary because he could ask another executive member of the board. I happened to walk by the finance director's desk right after the call ended. So he shared a little bit about the conversation and we both were, of course, floored by the idea that someone could fly in a private plane just to sign a check. At first, it felt like nothing more than a silly story because we were both very aware that many of the board members were wealthy. With time though, it became hard to work alongside people who didn't really seem to understand that most of the staff were living off a modest nonprofit salary. It certainly wasn't lost to me that some individuals could donate more money in a year than I made in that same amount of time. It's an interesting dynamic that in many ways feels specific to the nonprofit sector. Thank you, Akira, for being willing to share that story because I must admit, in the 14, 15, 16 years of being in the nonprofit space, I've never 
And I mean, never had a person say they could take their own private plane to come over from another state to do anything. I've, I've never even had someone say they've had a private plane. Peer, I don't even know anyone that, that has a private plane. So, wow, I, that's, um, that's a story. And again, a very timely story because we're talking about CEO rates, compensation and pay. I finished, I finished hitting the record button and then Akira sends me this. And I said, I gotta throw this story in. And, and I want to read something to you all because I, I, I reconnected with Akira on LinkedIn. Again, someone I, I, I run into, connect with one, two times a year. And I wanted to give you a little bit of insight because they were saying how they had switched over from doing nonprofit work and now they're working in government work, doing work with their local community, their local county. Uh, so big shout out to Akira, they're doing big things. And I thought this was a very interesting line when we were talking. She said, and I quote, it has been a very healthy workplace so far, which I have embraced with open arms. I always pictured myself working in the nonprofit sector, but after thinking long and hard, decided it just wasn't where I needed to be anymore. And when I, when I, when I read that, there was a moment of not, not like a, not like a sadness, but kind of like a dang because this is a high level person. Like I said, really smart, really connected, innovative, willing to take just a, a person that's willing. I know for a fact take on really good projects and wants to do amazing things. But sometimes you really just got to do what's best for you. And so when I heard that, I was like, see, the nonprofit states lost a really good person. And you got to do what's best for you, you know, whether you're in government and you switch to for-profit or for-profit and you switch to non-profit, whatever the case may be. But when the non-profit space loses a really high quality person like this, my goodness. And what a story, right? I mean, I'm will <laughs> I just love that. Uh, I'm willing to, to hop on my private plane and come into town later that afternoon to sign a check just to sign a check not to do not to have a meeting not to come for a couple of days just to sign a check i mean that's insert blank here you can you can figure it out that's that's pretty wild so thank you akira for sharing that story uh be sure to subscribe to the nonprofit insider if you haven't already again you can find us on instagram the nonprofit insider you can reach out to me at swim dot kareem at gmail.com i've got it in the show notes if you have a story you want to submit we would love to hear it and i always tell people your story doesn't have to be horrifying or terrifying you just heard akira's story nothing super wild but that realization and i want to read the last two sentences from her she said it was cert it certainly wasn't lost on me that some individuals could donate more money in a year than I made in that same amount of time. It's an interesting dynamic that in many ways feels specific to the nonprofit sector. A great nonprofit horror story as we get out of here in the middle of summer. Go out there, enjoy the rest of the day. We'll see you in the next episode in two weeks. Take care.